I'm, I just really want you to know that I'm, I'm honored to be here, but I don't want to just be up here speaking to you. Now, God has put something incredibly deep in my heart, and I'm sharing from a place of what God has done. But I want to take a moment where we all in agreement lean in together, and we all ask the Lord to do something specific. See, I believe he's going to divide this word into as many ears that are here tonight, that each one of you will receive something different from it, but it will be pertinent and valuable to your life. Can we agree for that? Okay, so let's lean in. Father, you are here now. Your presence is here now. We are not, uh, we are free from fear. We have no fear because you have made us children of you. We thank you that your presence is among us. And we know that you have a good work to do. We ask that you silence every voice that is not of you. Any voice tonight that is speaking into the minds of anyone listening, you would silence it except the voice of you that will speak blessing and value to, our, to your children. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. He's a good God, isn't he? He's a good father. So I want to share with you the burden that is on my heart. There is a shift taking place that I really feel strongly about. And I understand if uh, you would probably agree with me, even today in our world, it feels like there's a shift happening. And maybe not even a positive one. I I've heard many times people say, I don't even recognize the world that we're living in. Things, things just look chaotic. You feel that? Do you feel the tension and the shifting? And though I do believe that that is real, I have good news, that I believe there is a shifting happening that God is ordaining. See, this shifting um, in Isaiah 43, 18 through 19, this is what he says. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I am doing something new. Can you say something new? Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? That part there is what sticks out to me the most, that God could be doing something new and I might not have the spiritual eyes to see and I might not be aware of it. I want to be someone who is aware of the new thing that God is asking me to behold. Because especially in the world today, where things feel tense, there feels like there's a struggle. I want to be someone that says, behold, God is doing something new, and I want to be aware of it. So tonight, my message is entitled, What the World Needs Now. What the world needs now. Now, depending upon your age, I want you to maybe fill in the blank what you think that title. If I say what the world needs now, you might say, Love, sweet love, it's the only thing that there's just too little love. Yes, we got some, we've got it out here. What is that, Dionne Warwick? I, something, I think, yes, Dionne, okay. And I think that is true. I think the world needs more love. But what I think the world really needs now, and I love what Pastor Mike said, it was as if he read my notes. I could have basically said, thank you and just walked off stage. What the world needs now is a passionate pursuit of the presence of God in our lives. 
a passionate pursuit of the presence of God in our lives because we all know when we passionately pursue him, we will find love. We will find peace. We will find kindness. That's what we'll find. So I'm asking, will you draw in with me? Will you be beckoned by the Lord to draw in and passionately pursue him? Because this is actually what happened to me. See, I believe as believers, we're always asking the Lord for greater measure. We want to be effective to do great things for God. And I believe the word for us is the more effective and great we want to be for God, the deeper we must go in the Lord. We cannot expect to be world changers in a world that's upside down if we are not passionately pursuing his presence. It starts with us pursuing the Lord. His presence is such a privilege, and I want to give you a little bit of history of what that looks like. See, we all know in the beginning, Adam and Eve, that was perfection. It says that Adam and Eve got to commune with God in the cool of the day. But as we know, sin entered the world, and the ability to do that no longer existed. And if you read through the Old Testament, what we find is that there was a lot of rules and regulations for the presence of God. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. And then uh, with Solomon, the temple was built and the Ark of the Covenant had a place to reside, but it was only the, the high priest he could go, who could go in there. And it was very behavior-based. God could keep his presence from a culture that was disobeying him. And then as we know in John 1.14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. See, God made a way for us to commune with him by sending his son, Jesus. And then Jesus to die on the cross and to go to the Father. And he says to us when he goes to the Father, I'm sending my Holy Spirit to be with you. So we are living in the most precious, privileged time to have the presence of God in our lives. Because it's not based on our behavior. At any place where you are today, you can come into the presence of God. He is always willing to meet you wherever you are. So why is it then, if we have the easiest access to the presence of God in our lives, why is it that we choose to not access it? Why is it that we choose to not be in the presence of the Lord? So for me, I answered a call. I was in a really difficult season and I felt the Lord beckoning me. And I didn't even know that I had a lot of these issues that I needed freedom from. But I just answered a call from the Lord. Just he beckoned me really, really simply. All I had to do was answer the call for me to find this new, deeper relationship with him. And so I want you to see tonight as one big invitation. I want to steer your hearts in the direction that I'm really inviting you to let the Holy Spirit begin showing you if there's areas of your life that you can surrender to him so you can go deeper with him. See, pursuing the Lord looks a lot like hungering and thirsting. In Matthew 5, 6, it says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. I want to compare that to a craving. Okay, so a craving is something that you really, really want but if you don't get it, you're not going to die. 
Okay, see, so I was pregnant. We have three kids, so I was pregnant three times, and I understand all too well cravings. And anybody who's been pregnant, can, you, can I just have a testifying here that cravings are real? We don't make them up. And I just want to tell you, men, when you deny a woman her craving, we cannot help the wrath that might come to you because they are real. So when I had my firstborn, who is now almost 16, I craved hot, salty French fries the whole pregnancy. Anyone? No, that doesn't sound good to anybody. I could eat them. I could eat a whole large fry right now thinking about it. Like I I loved hot, salty French fries. But I want to make the distinction that if I didn't get my hot, salty French fries, I wasn't going to die. I just was going to be upset and Todd wouldn't hear the end of it. So I want to compare that to what hungering and thirsting looks like. See, we don't understand in our culture, we have a lot of access to things. So we sometimes forget what hungering and thirsting really can look like. In the natural, we probably don't go very often without a meal or with water. Not here in America, not that often. In the same way, if we are not hungering and thirsting spiritually for things of the Lord, we could die in the same way as somebody who hungers and thirsts for food and water and it doesn't, they don't get satisfied, they could die. We have to decide that I'm going to hunger and thirst for you, God, as if I would die without you. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, Seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. What a promise. That's a promise to us. Seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So I just have to get a show of hands because I'm, I'm a little out. I feel like I'm not very cool by saying this, but I'm really out on the Pokemon Go thing. Do we have any Pokemon Go people here? Just a few will know even what I'm talking about because I just felt like I needed to clarify, young man on the front row, that seek me and find me does not mean Pokemon Go. (laughs) The scripture here is talking about God and I feel like if we would seek God the same way this culture is seeking Pokemon Go, we would maybe never have another war again. Seek him. And find him when you seek him with all of your heart. So tonight, I want to talk about how pursuing God's presence shows itself in three ways. And the one question I want to make sure you're asking yourself is, does my pursuit of God make the enemy take notice? Does my pursuit of God make the enemy take notice? I want the enemy to be afraid of what I'm doing and how I'm living in the presence of God. So pursuing God's presence shows itself in three ways. And the first way is dwelling with God. Dwelling means to cling to, to abide, or to remain. As in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, abiding and dwelling, you have to understand what that means. When you abide somewhere, it really is a trust issue. This is about trust right here. See, hopefully you would not ever remain and abide and dwell in a home with someone that you don't trust. In the same way, we cannot dwell and abide with someone that we don't trust. So before we can ever dwell with God, we have to ask ourselves the question, do we trust him? Is there a character trait of God that we, over time, have begun to not trust? Because that's my story. I didn't realize how much of my relationship I had blocked off my, from my heart to God. I had blocked my heart off because of a trust issue. Now, the story I'm going to tell you is my personal story. You may not fully relate to the same issue I had, but hopefully you'll relate to the struggle. See, for me, it was really difficult. I've loved God my whole life. I really literally cannot remember a time I didn't love God, and I love so much. I love everything about God. I mean, let's just, to God be the glory. There's nothing to not love about him. I love his peace. I love his joy. I love his love. I love his kindness. But I did not realize I had this little part of God that I wasn't sure that I trusted. And for me, it was the sovereignty of God. See, there were a lot of things in life I, I don't understand, especially with social media. We become so aware of every tragedy that hits every family. We become so aware of every tragedy that hits our nation. We become so aware of the family who has served faithfully God their whole lives and tragedy strikes them. We're all too aware of all of those things. And I began to, when, it, when those things would happen, people would say, there's, there's just no answers. We'll never know this side of heaven. We'll never know why that happened. We just have to trust in the sovereignty of God. We just have to trust that a supreme being, a supreme power knows greater than we know. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And though that is all true, personal testimony for me was I began to think, I don't think I like the sovereignty of God because I equated every bad thing that I could not have an answer for was this thing called sovereignty. And so I said, you know what? I don't really think I want to know that very well because this is where the bad things happen. So I began, and I just love his love, and I love his faithfulness, but I don't understand you here. So I'm just going to hold some of my heart away from you. So in our time of growing and our time of being in presence together, there's just a part I'm not going to let you have of my heart. And I didn't even know this was happening. He revealed it to me in one afternoon, beckoning me, asking me to draw in. And I drew in, not even understanding the freedom that was coming. And he showed me. And he so graciously said to me, Belinda, do you know that every breath you've ever taken in your life was the sovereignty of God? Do you know the fact that you had three children in your womb who are living and breathing today? That is the sovereignty of God. Do you know that I could tell you every near miss you've ever had, everything that could have been tragic for you, every single moment that I saved you was my sovereignty. There's nothing in this world, not a person is breathing today, nothing is happening today without my sovereignty, Belinda. And in that moment, I am telling you, I began to love the sovereignty of God. Because in that deep presence with him, there was a peace that came over me.
that peace that passes all understanding. I didn't even have the need to understand because I had the peace of God on my life. So that means I may never fully understand him. Of course we won't. But I didn't live in fear or anxiety about this part of God because when I allowed myself to go deep in his presence, he washed over me his love, his peace, his goodness. And it was overwhelming that it silenced the voices that kept me in fear. And that's what dwelling is. I believe you may not have the exact issue that I had, but I believe tonight there are people here who have a hard time dwelling with God because they don't trust him with all of their heart. Something in your life made you think that God was against you, that God caused something, that maybe you just weren't as valuable to him. And I want to bring good news tonight that he loves you. He is a good father and he is trustworthy. If you don't feel that you trust him enough to dwell with him, I just want to invite you right now to ask the Holy Spirit to breathe life into those dead bones. Just let the Holy Spirit saturate the part of your heart that hasn't fully trusted. I believe he's doing something even right now. Even if it's in just one heart. Thank you, Lord. In Exodus 33, 15 through 16. So Moses, he is leading the Israelites into the promised land. Now, I want to just review with you about the Israelites. So the Israelites went into this cycle, right? They loved God they would make these idols and disobey God. They would be repentant. They would love God again. And they just went in this cycle, right? Just wearied God out, I'm sure. Like, seriously, you ever going to get this? Okay. And there was a time when God and Moses were talking. And God says to Moses, you do get to go into the promised land because I promised that way back when. So you'll get to go into the promised land. And I will even protect you from your enemies. But I'm going to send an angel to go with you. My presence is not going to go with you. And this is how Moses responded in Exodus 33, 15 through 16. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us? See, it was not enough for Moses to have the promises of God. And it was not enough for Moses to have God's protection. If he was not going to have God's presence, he did not want to go. And I just have to ask the question, how comfortable have we become in our lives that we want all the promises that God has for us and we want all of his protection, but we're okay to live without his presence? I want to be like Moses. I want to live a life that says, if you don't go, I don't go. 
I don't go anywhere you don't go. I want your presence in my life in every way at all times. We have to change our desires. We have to move from petition to passion, from request to relationship. See, the thing is, it's not bad to petition the Lord. He tells us numerous times in the scripture to just ask him. So it's not bad, but he is drawing us deeper. He is calling us deeper. Move from petition, just where every day it's just a, another request to a passionate pursuit of him. Which brings me to my second point. Pursuing God's presence isn't just dwelling with God, but it's devotion to God. See, if, if we had a, a husband and wife situation, and every day for Todd, let's just say, I, all I did was kiss his cheek and gave him a little honeydew list. And I just said, thank you for doing my honeydew list. I'll see you back around another time. Well, that wouldn't be much of a marriage, right? It'd be really great because I would have my, honey list, my honeydew list done. Was I saying it wrong? Honeydew list. I would have that done, but, but that wouldn't be a marriage. Just, just do all these things for me, please. No, God created the most intimate relationship on earth that you would have would be with your spouse. He created time and space that everything with your spouse is laid bare together, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. You are, you are not intimate like that with any other person on earth. That's how God intended it. And so think and imagine of the times of intimacy that you have with your spouse. Just a beautiful time together. But then as life calls and you have to go to work or you have to be with the children, it'd be great to stay there all day, but life calls and you can't. But during the day, Todd might send me a sweet little text just telling me how much he loves me, telling me how much he loved being with me that day. See, I could still have intimacy with him because I'm drawing on our time together. See, our time together in intimacy allows me to move throughout my day and draw on that. See, people ask all the time, how can you stay in the presence of God all day? That would be really nice, but I have a real life. And I want to say, you know, God knew that when he created us. So don't you think he's provided a way for intimacy to happen all day long, even though we can't stay in that deep time of intimacy? So I have to ask the question. I'm a question girl. I like to know why. I don't like to know how. So I always ask the question, then, then how, God? How can I have the deep presence, the time with you, and yet still feel and remain intimate with you all day until the next time that we can be together? And it's because if I am intimate with him, if I pursue him passionately, then I draw on that every day. And the reason that's important the reason that is important is because when you spend time with the Lord, passionately pursuing him through his word, through worship, people, we have to be in the word. We have to be in the word of God. What happens is a residue falls on us when we spend time with the Lord. And then we go out into our workplaces or to our schools or, or wherever we go, and there's a residue of peace on us that we can give. There's a residue of kindness. There's a residue of love. And we can just continue to give because we have been spending time in an intimate place with him. And there's a residue that falls on us. 
So the time passionately pursuing him is not just for you, but it changes the world when you're devoted to God. It changes the world. So recently, um, I've got three kids. My youngest is 10. Evelyn is her name. And we have, my niece is eight. Her name is Georgia. And she came to stay a couple of days with us because Evelyn and Georgia get along great. And so one of the days that they were together, I needed to run into Walgreens. They happened to be with me. And I said, girls, I need to take you to Walgreens. And I'm sure they thought, well, that sounds really fun, you know. And that's just the kind of fun aunt that I am anyways. Let's go to Walgreens. Woo! And so, so I took them to Walgreens. I felt a little bit bad. I was going to be there, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes. And I said, you know what? I'm going to make this fun for the girls. So each of you have $5 to spend at Walgreens. So next thing you know, they're literally like walking down the aisle like this. I think they each had about $40 worth of things. You know, they're 8 and 10. I don't know what I was thinking. And I was like, I, we're, we're just not going to be able to get they have like a toy store at Walgreens. Did you know this? I did not know this. I've never had to shop for toys there. You can get a lot of stuff at Walgreens. A lot of good stuff. But anyway, I made the girls put it all back. And I said, let's just go to the candy aisle. Okay, we'll just stay right here. And so they go to the candy aisle and it's filled with candy top to bottom. My daughter finds the one thing that's out of stock. My daughter finds the cherry sours. That's what she's looking for. Do we have any cherry sour eaters here? Like two, seriously, maybe four. Okay, like I don't get the cherry sour craze. I, Todd has like three people in his family and they're the only ones I know that eat cherry sours. But my daughter was convinced cherry sours were the thing that she wanted. I'm like, do you see all the chocolate here? So I go and ask the gentleman that works there. Is there any chance you have cherry sours in the back? My daughter wants cherry sours. He comes back after a few minutes and he says, I'm sorry, we, we did not get a replenishment of cherry sours. So I told Evelyn, you're going to have to just pick something else on the, on the aisle. But it made me think, how often does the world come to us and they just need a little bit? And we're able to give it to them and then they need a little bit more. And we're able to give it to them, but then that person, that last person comes takes the last thing that we have on the shelf. And because we have not been backstocking our inventory, because we have not been backstocking our inventory, we have nothing left to give. So there's a hurting world out there who's coming and asking all of us believers, how can you direct me toward hope? How can you direct me toward peace? And if we have not been backstocking our inventory, we have nothing out of our overflow to give them. We are done. We are empty. We're fed up. We can't handle it anymore. The world is against us. We have nothing left because we've not been backstocking the inventory. See, the backstocking part happens in private. You don't see, you don't see the workers backstocking it's behind closed doors. It's a private thing. You're backstocking the inventory in private. That's what the presence of God, that's pursuing him. That's what that looks like. We have to be pr privately pursuing him so then we can continually replenish our shelves and the world can take and we have something to give them. And this is the warning about not backstocking your inventory is that the world is looking to, to find something and if your shelf is empty, they will find it somewhere else. Because somebody else is making sure that their shelf is stocked. 
We have to be devoted to him in every way as we passionately pursue him. I'm reading a book right now um, by Jack, Dr. Jack Hayford. Anybody know Dr. Jack Hayford? It's called Manifest Presence. And the reason I was reading it is because I have just been having a desire to understand more about the manifest presence of God. See, who wouldn't love the manifest presence of God to fall where you are? Like right now, corporately, just the tangible, visible presence of God. And as I read it, I came upon a line that Dr. Hayford wrote. And literally, you know, when you are stirring, something is stirring in you and you feel it, and then somebody has written it and you're like, thank you. It's like they knew exactly. In fact, I kind of want credit for this because I was thinking at first, they just had the publisher. But Dr. Jack Hayford said this, our focus is to be more interested in the personal presence of God than in the greatest display of his power. So think about that for a minute because we know how much we would love to see a great display of God's power fall among us. I think we would all say we would love that. Even more so should we be, des be desiring a personal pursuit of God. And see, the thing is, is what you have to understand when you passionately pursue him, all of these things that you're looking for, you get, you just get them personally. You get the spirit to fall all over you. You get his word. You get his worship. You get all of that. So I love David, King David. He's one of my favorite characters, characters, if that's what you call them, people in the whole Bible. I love him. And, and part of the reason I love him is because he has a title that says, he was a man after God's own heart. We've all heard that. But yet he was a big old bad sinner. And so I love, because I'm a big old bad sinner. So I love that I could have the title of a woman after God's own heart. And I'm a big old bad sinner. But one uh, commentary that I read said that being a man after God's own heart really means a man according to God's own heart. See, what that means is that David had a desire in his heart to do everything according to God's will, according to God's way. Let me show you the opposite of that was King Saul who went before him, who was before him. See, King Saul was always given mandates from God and always sort of kind of thought what he was doing was, was doing it God's way, but he really always did it the way he wanted and see, when we choose to be people who want to passionately pursue God and we're devoted to him, we have to steer our will to do it according to God's way. And it's really difficult. It's really difficult to do that. But he says in Psalm 42, 1 through 2, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. See, David showed us how to repent through his psalms. He showed us how to praise God through his psalms, but he showed us what being in the presence of God looked like. It looked like a deer panting and thirsting for water. That's what it looked like. I want to be someone 
who pants and thirsts for God through my devotion to him. So thirdly, we dwell with God, we have devotion to God, and finally we have dependence on God as our way to pursue him passionately. Now dependence on God has three little words that are not fun. Death to self. Dependence on God means we are not dependent on ourselves. See, prayer is proof that we are dependent on God. Prayer is proof that we are dependent on God. The more confident you are in your ability to navigate your own life, the less you pray. The more confident you are in your ability to navigate your life, to do it your way, the less you pray. Because we have these delusions of self-reliance. We have this idea that somehow we can do it better. And we get real accustomed to only coming to God when it's big and tough and hard and then thinking the rest of it, we can do ourselves. Now, I will say, I love what Pastor Mike said. We do have to be doers of the word, not just hearers. But there's a difference when your reliance of your life is on yourself versus God. We have to be reliant, dependent on him. And I just want to read to you in Psalm 91. This is what happens for people who have full dependence on God. Because he holds fast to me in love. Okay, I want to tell you what hold fast means. It means to bear down. Okay, so if you imagine holding fast, I just, I see like we take our kids um, inner tubing at the lake behind a boat and literally the way that my husband pulls them, we call it the grandpa pull because his grandfather did the same thing, but it's literally like it goes from zero to like full throttle and literally these kids are holding on for dear life on the inner tube because it just goes so fast. That's the image I have when it talks about bearing down, grasping so tightly. This is what happens. Because you hold fast to me, you bear down and grasp tightly. You're dependent on me. Because you do that in love, I will deliver you. He says, I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. These are promises of God that we get when we bear down, when we hold fast, when we're dependent on him. We are not able to promise ourselves any of that on our own. So why would we not desire to have full dependence on him? Death to self, it never feels good to die. I can't think of anything I've ever had to die to that was really fun to die to. Like we like all the parts of Christianity. Uh, we love all the parts about being just like Jesus except the death part. That, we don't want that part. We don't want to die to anything. But I'm telling you, until we know how to dwell with God, be devoted to God, and dependent on God, 
we cannot pursue him in the way that we need and that the world needs. So I want to ask you tonight. This was a really uh, strong message for me. Everything you're hearing tonight was something God had to show and reveal about my own heart. That's not fun. But this is what I love, and I would do it all again. If it can draw one person to pursue God more. Because can you imagine if every person in these seats left here and made the conscious decision, I'm just going to start adding time with the Lord into my day. What would that begin to look like corporately? What would that begin to look like outside these walls? If we were all committed to passionately pursuing him. See, the thing is, is if you don't understand what you get there, then I can't sell it to you. You need to understand. Faith is restored in the presence of God. Hope is built in the presence of God. Wisdom and knowledge is received in the presence of God. There's so much that you will find in the presence of God. Peace that passes understanding in the presence of God. Love for people that you literally thought were unlovable. You can find love for them in the presence of God. There's so much that you get there. It's not a hard sell. You just have to commit and say yes to it. So what I want for tonight, would we be able to have any keys? It's okay if not. I would just like all of you to close your eyes. When, when I was given this message, the word that God gave me was invitation. That was one of the words he gave me. I felt like he said, with this message, I always want there to be an invitation for people to commit or recommit themselves to pursuing me. So I'm inviting you. It doesn't necessarily need to be an altar invitation. It's a heart invitation. I want you right now to begin a dialogue with God. And I want you to ask him, are there areas of my life that I've held off from you? God, have I not pursued you in the way that you pursued me? See, Jesus gave his life for us. That's how much he wants us. God wants us. What are we doing in our life to show God that we want him? So just as the keys play, I don't have to keep talking because the Holy Spirit can do all the work for me. I'm just going to let him speak. Someone here tonight needs to know that this father is trustworthy and is good. 
He's good in a way you've never understood what goodness is. He's asking, taste and see that I am good. Trust me in this. I am good. I'm just feeling like uh, the Lord is asking me just to have a visible showing of people that, that I can pray for. Would you raise your hand if you feel that the Lord is drawing you to a deeper presence with him and that there's been areas in your life that you've held off? Thank you, God. And that you want to draw closer. Holy Spirit, do at work. Thank you, God. God, thank you. Father, for every hand, for every heart, show yourself good and faithful. Show yourself loving and true. Renew in them a clean heart, O oh God. A broken and contrite spirit, a broken heart and contrite spirit, you have yet to deny. Father, we thank you. We love you for our time together. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you would choose to move among us. And we're so happy and honored to be children of God. Thank you, God. In your name we pray, amen.